Yo, 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 what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Earn Your Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or have ever been told are possible. I'm your host, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Zach Kanadi. What is going on, you guys? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Ernie Good Day podcast. This means a ton to me. I love doing this, and even more so, I love helping you guys out, earning a good day, living better lives, and just helping you guys be better people in the in general. Now, we have a, a pretty cool episode. We're going to continue our series on, basically, last week we went to bulking, and this week and next week we're going to do a little bit of digestion absorption, physiology, energy production. And we'll get into how to lose fat, aka cutting and leaning out. Uh, and then we're going to get into a couple health diseases such as diabetes and heart disease towards the end of the year. Uh, but before we get into that, guys, I have a couple requests for you. And it would mean the world if you guys could do one or even both of them. Now, this is all predicated on the fact that I do a good job with the episode. So if I don't do a good job, you guys don't have to do anything. However, if I do a good job, meaning you think it's good information, you find it funny, it's thought-provoking, it gives you a different perspective, it's something you haven't heard before, or really you just find it valuable in one way, shape, or form, I ask that you do one of two things. The first thing is that you start using this information as soon as possible. And by as soon as possible, I mean as soon as you're done listening to this episode. All right. And if you're like, get done, you're like, Zach, I'm already doing everything you talked about this week. Then the next thing I want you to do is help us fulfill the mission of the podcast, which is to build a community of like-minded individuals who are trying to solve the world's problems by first becoming the better version of themselves. All right. And so what that is, how you're going to help us with the mission of this podcast is by sharing this episode or any episode for that matter by or with somebody who you think it would be benefit uh, or who you think would find some sort of value in it. Maybe they're struggling with the topic you talked we talked about this week or maybe you just know that they need a little extra boost to get them going to the next level. So if you guys could do that, if it's a good episode, it would mean the world to me and we'd also be helping out other people, which who doesn't like helping out other people? Now, this week, like I said, we are talking about digestion and absorption and we're gonna kind of piggyback this off of last week's discussion of bulking and building muscle. Now, the reason I wanna talk about this is because sometimes it can be kind of hard to make the right decisions and if you're trying to bulk or if you're trying to lean out, if we don't know it's part of the reasoning why, right? Because sometimes if the, somebody just tells you something and they don't tell you why, you're like, why? Right, well, bro, I don't know why. So like this kind of seems pointless and you telling me to do this doesn't make sense. So I want to give you guys some foundational knowledge that I think is going to help you understand why we do some of the things we do if we're trying to increase athletic performance, increase muscle mass, lose body fat, hell, even get more energy and focus throughout the day, or even, you know, at the a simple level, just sleep and enjoy life a little bit better. Because when we know the reasoning why and why the choices we are going to make are going to impact the outcome and like what that transition is, sometimes it can be a little bit easier and it to make that choice and you can be more likely to make it more consistently. 
So today we were talking about digestion and absorption. Now, I just finished dinner myself. I had chili and a couple biscuits. It was delicious. Um, and we're pretty much in a roundabout way going to talk about what this, this chili and these biscuits are now doing in my body and what they're going to be doing over the next you know, 12 up to even 72 hours, depending on the person, right? I'm a pretty consistent pooper, so it won't take the whole 72 hours. Uh, but some people only poop every other day or even every couple days. Although I would definitely suggest you probably want to be pooping at least once a day, if not maybe twice a day. That's just my personal and pref professional opinion, but each up to their own. So kind of how today is going to work is... I'm going to tell you guys, uh, I just told you guys the why. So then we're going to go into the structure of the digestive pathway, or the gastrointestinal tract, as the fancy scientists call it. Uh, we're going to talk about the actual pathway that food takes through it and the accessory organs. And then we're going to take a little bit deeper dive and go into each macronutrient because each macro kind of has a couple steps that are particular and important to just that one. So fat's going to have some steps that carbs don't. Carbs are going to have some steps that protein doesn't. And this again will give you guys a deeper understanding so that you know what's going on in your body and not only knowing what's going on and helping to make better choices, but if you start to have problems arise, you're not going to have that next bit of information that's going to help you solve them. And because we'll kind of talk about where maybe some backups happen throughout this, or even if we don't, you can use your imagination and say, ah, this might happen here if I don't have this. And then with that, you can use your critical thinking brain and be like, oh, this happened. I don't have this. So we're going to have this solution to solve the problem. Now, of course, if you guys are uh, in a lot of trouble or not trouble, but like you're having a lot of problems and you're not totally sure where to turn, even after this and your hours of research on the internet, please contact somebody like myself who's a registered dietitian uh, or a gastroenterologist. This is what our whole field is, is to help people with their food and their intestinal issues in order to live a better life. All right. So all of us want to do it. We all want to help you out. And it's not a shame to ask. In fact, sometimes this information can, even if you do all the research in the world, just doesn't make sense because the body's really complicated. All right. So let's dive into the structure, all right? Because we talked about the importance of this, which is it's going to help you make better decisions. Uh, you're going to know what's going on in your body and you're also going to be able to solve problems better. But what really like what's the structure of it and there's a common phrase in physiology called that is form follows function so whatever structure or form some a biological thing is or an organ or a, a tissue or you know whatever that's typically going to determine its function like our taste buds have lots of bumps on them they're pretty wide and they have lots of moving parts and its function is to taste food which also means to detect things that aren't good for you and when you're chewing, it's to move the food around your mouth. So you guys can kind of see how that, <clears throat> that saying holds up quite a bit. Now, the simplest point, the simplest way to talk about the structure is really, we're just a tube with limbs. Uh, that's about as simple as it gets. Because uh, your mouth to your butthole are, is literally just one tube with a couple doors in between. It does take a couple twists and turns, but if you straighten it all out, it's all one tube. I think it's about... 28 feet long for the average adult i want to say 26 to 30 feet somewhere in there uh is all the tubes so it's really long and a cool fact is some scientists actually tried to recreate the human digestive system 
And it's so complex and it fits in such a small bucket that in order to recreate it with modern day machines, it took five stories from, you know, story one all the way up to the scene. Actually, they started at the fifth floor and all the way down to the ground level floor. took them all the way, all that machinery to take food or cheeseburger excuse me, or in this case, chili and biscuits and make it into a poop, right? So you guys can see like how complex and how intricate it is when we can do all of that in about 28 feet and it takes modern technology, five floors of machinery to do the same thing. But really, it, we're a little bit more than a tube, right? Like our tube has a couple parts to it and it starts off with our mouth, which is connected to our esophagus, which then goes into the stomach which then leads into the small intestine, which then goes to the large intestine, and then your butthole, and you poop it out. But we also have a couple what are called accessory organs, and these are things that just help us with the digestion process along our tube. And those would be our teeth, our tongue, our salivary glands, our gallbladder, our liver, and a very important one being the pancreas. Now, before we go any deeper, I want to give you guys a little background on how this even developed, right? Like, what is going on, all right? So we're going to go all the way back after your mom and dad had the birds and the bees action movie instead of just giving you the conversation. And you're an embryo, okay? And as an embryo, you start out as just this little ball. And you keep dividing cells and you get a little bit bigger. And then there's a couple signals that basically turn you into a short stack of pancakes, And then that short stack of pancakes rolls itself up into a pancake burrito. And that is basically how you start. Uh, You're a tube. And if you guys were ever wondering why why there's so many people who are assholes, it actually goes all the way back to this step. And it is humans uh, are actually what are called deuterosomes. And it means the butthole forms first. So if you're wondering, if you're ever wondering why you meet so many assholes or there seems to be so many, it's because everybody's asshole forms first. So that's just what we know the most. <laughs> Anyways, those three layers, right, which are called the endoderm, the mesoderm, and the ectoderm, have, which is basically the inner, the middle, and the outer layer, all have pretty important functions. And each layer becomes an important piece of our digestive system. So the endoderm, that very most inner layer, is going to become the physical tube that we are and a respiratory tract, right? So those are the tubes in our bodies. The mesoderm, which is that middle layer, is going to become pretty much everything else inside of our skin and outside of our digestive tract. So that's going to be our bones, our muscles, our internal organs, our blood, and our lymph. Now the ectoderm, which is that very outer layer, you can expect is going to be the skin. And I was like, well, duh, that makes sense when I learned it. But what I didn't know, or what surprised me, was that is also where our nervous system comes from. So the ectoderm, this outermost layer, is going to become your brain, your spinal cord, and your peripheral nerves. So all the sensing organs in our body. And so kind of each part is, we have the, the endoderm, which is going to be the actual tube. And that's going to take food from what's still considered, even though it's in you, it's not really in you. It's uh, within your digestive tract, and the food is going to pass through that into what's the mesoderm, and now it's, quote-unquote, in your body, and that's where we have all these accessory organs. And the ectoderm, while it's our skin, our nervous system is going to be the one that's dictating all these single signals, 
uh, sensing when food is in certain places or isn't and when it's moving, when it's not moving. And it's going to send all the signals to kind of coordinate the symphony so that we can have a 10 out of 10 poop. All right. Now, <clears throat> before we get into this, I do want to take a little bit of time and define some terms. Okay. And it's just going to help you guys with the understanding and the clarity. And we're going to have less confusion as we go on. Now, digestion is the breakdown of food into smaller particles or pieces or polymers and monomers, all right? And we have a couple types of digestion. We have what's called physical digestion, which you guys can think of as chewing is the easiest way. And we also have chemical digestion, which is the breaking down of, food, of polymers, aka macronutrients, into their monomeric state. And we do that via enzymes, digestive enzymes, and different chemicals, okay? And then we also have an, uh, what are called enzymes. That's a word we want to define. And that's basically just some organic, uh, generally organic chemical that aids in a very specific reaction. So we have millions upon millions of reactions in our body. And every almost every single one has an enzyme that only works on that reaction. So if we want to form a bond between, you know, glucose and fructose to get sucrose, aka table sugar, we only have one enzyme that does that. And that enzyme's entire job is just to make sugar in the body. It can't do anything else uh, because only glucose and fructose fit into it. And so only glucose and fructose can be what are called reactants to the reaction. All right. And then our last one that we're going to uh, define for this first part is absorption. And we kind of peeked at earlier, but this is nutrients passing from the GI tract into the blood, lymph, or bodily cells. Now, when I said food isn't, while it's in your stomach, isn't really in you, it might be inside your skin, but being that our mouth and our butthole are still technically exposed to the outside environment and it's a continuous tube between them, scientists and dietitians and gastroenterologists don't really consider food within our digestive tract inside of our body because it's not inside our human cells. Even though it might be within, enclosed in your skin, uh, it's not inside our cells or our blood, so it's not, quote unquote, in us. All right, now that's that, but let's actually talk about eating. All right, so I want you to picture in your mind your favorite meal, the sights, the smell, hell, even the sounds of it. All right, and I want you to imagine you're looking at it and you got your first bite loaded up, right? What do you notice is happening? Your mouth is starting to water. Maybe your your mind's getting excited, all the memories, the fantasies about it, you know, imagining what it's going to taste like. And your stomach is starting to growl. And you take that first bite and you just go, oh, mm. And you're chewing it up and you're just enjoying and experiencing all the intricate flavors, the textures, even the smells you know, how it feels, how it moves around, what it feels like to chew it, and then you're going to swallow it. And anywhere from 12 to 48 hours later, on average, you're going to poop this meal out, all right? But between the time you took that first bite and you pooped it out, what happened in there, right? Like, what is, uh, what's going on? What are the processes? And how does it go from, uh, in my case tonight, chili right, to a 10 out of 10 poop. Well, so it goes through and 
before we're even starting, our body is so good. It's so freaking amazing. When we're just looking at food or we smell food or we're thinking about it, our body thinks it's going to get food. So, like anything that's a high performer, it's starting to prepare. And that's why your mouth is watering, your stomach's gurgling, right? Because your body is preparing for food to enter the system and it wants to digest it so that it can extract the nutrients and the energy and use it to keep living on. Now what's going to happen is our first bite, right? We're going to take it and we have all this saliva in our mouth. And this has a couple different things that it's going to do. The number one is it's going to moisten everything. All right. And so this is going to, when we swallow it, right, it's not going to hurt our esophagus, right? Like imagine trying to swallow broken up chips, you know, or, or ice or, or anything sharp, you know, it's, if we didn't have saliva to soften it up, it would cut us up and we'd bleed and it wouldn't be a good sign. But also it's going to give us a, it's called a solution for all of our enzymes to begin to break down uh, the food. Specifically, we have salivary amylase and salivary lipase. And amylase and lipase are two enzymes that are going to break down two out of the three macronutrients. Amylase is going to work on carbohydrates and lipase is going to work on fats. Now, even if you only have uh, one of the macronutrients, your body doesn't know. So it's still going to release everything every single time you eat regardless of the composition of the meal now you guys can kind of actually taste amylase in action if you take a a piece of bread or a cracker and you chew it for a while you might notice that there's a little bit of sweetness that happens after a minute or so of chewing and what that is is that is the amylase in your saliva that's breaking down the carbs and releasing the glucose and the sucrose which is why you're having that sweeter taste on your tongue now, <clears throat> once we do this, our mouth is actually now sending a signal to our stomach and our intestines to be like, hey guys, get ready for this food that's coming down. So our stomach is going to start secreting gastric juices, right? Stomach acid, all this stuff. And our pancreas, our gallbladder are going to begin secreting juices. Our small intestine is getting primed to have it. And... Basically what they're waiting for is for the signal that it's in the stomach and about to come into the small intestine before they release all of this. Now when we're chewing our food, we're doing what's called mechanical digestion, aka we're trying to turn that bite into baby food. Babies don't have tongue or teeth, so that's why baby food looks like it does. Uh, but what we don't know is that baby food is technically a form of pre-digested food because it's pulverized, right? It's ground up. We have taken out the job of the teeth because the baby doesn't have it, and so now it can swallow it already. So that's our whole goal of chewing. We're basically trying to turn every single bite into baby food. Now, lots of people, myself included, eat fast, so we don't usually get all the way there. Uh, but if we take a little bit more time, we can actually get more out of our food because we're doing more of the digestion early, and so our body doesn't have to work as hard later on and it can be more effective, all right? Now, when we chew it up, this is doing a couple things. Number one, it is uh, actually increasing the surface area that enzymes can come in and chemically digest it. So it's going to be amylase and lipase from our salivary glands. And then it's also going to break it down. So again, it's just easier to pass through our esophagus. Then it's going to get into our uh, stomach, right? And that is where we're going to have um, 
lots of other enzymes come in. So we're going to have pepsin come in, um, you know, hydrochloric acid, and it's going to get in there and that's going to basically, again, be, continue to digest it up. Now the pepsin and the hydrochloric acid, these two are primarily for proteins, all right? And then our stomach is going to do a little bit more chem or excuse me, mechanical digestion. And it's basically going to turn it all into our, uh, basically like a big mush and you turning it all over like a washing machine for about, you know, anywhere from like two to four hours is pretty typical for food to remain in the stomach. Now, the bigger the meal you have and the more solid it is, uh, the longer it's going to be in there. The smaller the meal and the more liquid it is, the less time it's going to be in there. In fact, if it's, you basically have like a protein shake, uh, it can be in there for as little as like 15 minutes before it starts to get dumped into the small intestine. Now, with this pepsin and HCL, it's going to break proteins down into oligopeptides, di tripeptides, and dipeptides. And it's also going to serve as our first layer of our immune, or second layer of our immune system by killing off any bacteria that might be in our food. Right, and from there, uh, once it's all digested, and the stomach's like, "Yep, good to go, guys." Like we've got it to the point where it needs to be. Uh, it's going to start releasing food into the small intestine at about a rate of one or two tablespoons every couple minutes. So this is a pretty slow rate, but what we're what our stomach is trying to do is just drip small amounts of food so that all of the now pancreatic and intestinal juices that are in our small intestine can really work through there and actually get in there. Because if we just dropped a whole meal, right? Like imagine Thanksgiving dinner was coming up. You had like three plates of food, you know, you had two plates of dessert, a couple beers in you, a couple glasses of water. Like that's a lot of stuff. So if we were to just blast all of that into our small intestine, we wouldn't actually, excuse me, we wouldn't actually be able to digest it well, which means we're not going to get all of the nutrients we had. And when we go and take that poo later, it's not going to be real pretty. So when we get there, uh, we're going to have basically, so it's going to come into the small or into the small intestine. And this is where we have a couple of our accessory organs come into play. Now what's waiting for this food in the small intestine are two hormones called CCK and secretin. And once these basically realize that there's food in there, essentially, or they get secreted, they're going to then trigger the gall, the liver, the gallbladder, and the pancreas to secrete their gastric juices. So the liver is going to begin creating bile. The gallbladder is then going to squeeze the bile into the small intestine, and the pancreas is going to add a couple things. One is going to add bicarbonate, which is going to neutralize all the stomach acid. It's going to add a couple more proteases that are going to break those oligo, tri, and dipeptides into single amino acids. It's going to add pancreatic amylase and lipase again, because now we're going to continue to break down carbs and lipids into their monomers, which would be monosaccharides, free fatty acids, glycerol, and monoglycerides. And then this is also, at the same time, going to tell the rest of the digestive tract, like, hey, we got food here. All right, you guys got to be ready for this. And so, like I said, the gallbladder uh, are also going to be secreting bile and bile salts in there. And this is all going to mix up uh, into what is called chyme. Okay. And now bile actually has a really important role. So bile is all for fat. All right. So our liver is now trying to 
digest the fat. And what bile is doing is it's breaking all the fat that's in our food into a whole bunch of little fat droplets called micelles. And the really cool thing is, so now we're in this, the first section of our small intestine, and it's about an eight inch section or so on average in every person. It's called the duodenum. And what's this duodenum is honestly, it's probably the most important part of the small intestine. And really one could argue of your entire digestive tract. And that is said because those first eight inches, right? It's only eight inches out of like 28 feet is where majority of the chemical digestion happens. So at this point, we've already chewed up our food, turned into baby food. We've acidified it and now we've neutralized it. And we have just a whole bunch of basically mush, right? It kind of looks like you took your food and put it in a blender. That's kind of what it looks like. At this point, we haven't really broken all the macronutrients down into their building blocks. And so that's what's going to happen here. So really, it's a whole lot of chemical digestion. Now, at this time, also, the small intestine has a really important, again, structure and function to play here. Now, the small intestine is about 22 feet long in the average person and has a really funky shape. So it's all wrinkly and foldy when you first look at it. But if you take a microscope, all of those wrinkle and folds have these little finger-like projections called villi. And those finger-like projections are kind of hairy. And those hairs are called microvilli. And basically, to put it simply, you have the surface area of an entire tennis court folded up into your 22 feet of your small intestine. And not only that, uh, not only do the gallbladder and, pancre and pancreas put enzymes in there, but the brush border, right? So those microvilli and those villi, those that border themselves actually have enzymes on the border. They're just kind of stationed there, right? And those enzymes there continue to help break down your food even more because in our body, right, we kind of can imagine cells in our body like this, just this big soup. And for a chemical reaction to happen uh, without an enzyme, and even with an enzyme, we basically have to have two chemicals either smash into each other and form a new one, and they have to be just in the right alignment, configuration, all that, have enough energy, because uh, they could smash into each other, but there's not enough energy to form a bond, or waiting for there to be so much chaos in area and so much energy that we can actually rip a bond apart. But enzymes are great because they do what's called lowering the activation energy, which basically just means we need less energy to have the same reaction. And we can actually have it at a higher rate, not only because there's less energy, but now we have a little bit of a controlled environment for that reaction to take place. And we have a mediator to make sure it goes correctly. So if we're trying to break a bond, that enzyme is breaking it. If we're trying to form a bond, that enzyme is setting the stage for that bond to be formed. All right. All right. Let's make sure we're in the right place here. Yes. And so these enzymes are also then allowing the monomers to get into our body. So proteins and carbs are going to be absorbed into the enterocytes and then go into the blood supply, which then they'll go into the liver. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then we're Worse, our fats are in these micelle shapes. They're going to be absorbed into the enterocytes because the micelles make them water-soluble so they can mix in appropriately with the, the water substances and the rest of the food because we all know oil and water don't mix. 
So we need a little help to make sure that they do. And then from those enterocytes, they're going to kind of restructure into what are called chylomicrons. And we'll talk again about in those later. And those are going to be absorbed into the lymph and go through the lymphatic system. But we're not going to absorb all of the nutrients or everything that we ate here. And so our food is going to get segmentally pushed down through a process called peristalsis, which basically you think of your gut is doing the worm dance. All right. And we're going to come to a door called the ileocecal valve. And this is the door between the small intestine and the large intestine. And past this door, we're going to go through the final tube or portion of our tube that we call our body before we poop it out. And this process is going to take anywhere from, again, like 10, 48, even some uh, estimates say even longer than 48 hours to get through the large intestine. And at this point, really what's entering the large intestine is just... Uh, fiber, dead cells, liquids, anything that hasn't been digested or absorbed yet. And it's pretty much just diarrhea. Like it sounds kind of gross, but that's, that's about what's going on. Right. And now the large intestine really has one main job and it has a whole bunch of buddies that live in it. that have another important job, but really its main job is to take diarrhea and draw out all the fluid and electrolytes and turn it into a great poop. Okay. Like I said, so the large intestine job is to absorb all the water because our digestion requires a ton of water. In fact, that's one of the main requirements to break a bond is we have to add a molecule of water in order to break it. Uh, and we just need a lot of water to keep it nice and fluid so that it flows nicely and that all of our enzymes can take up the action that they need. The other one is we are going to absorb a lot of electrolytes. So you guys remember last time we talked about hydration a couple times, but in the bodybuilding episode and the bulking episode, we talked about how electrolytes are important for neurological function, cell function, muscle function, and just keeping your body hydrated. So when we eat like salt or, or potassium, magnesium, chloride, all these things, our body is going to absorb that in the large intestine. And the last thing uh, that's going to happen in the large intestine is anything that wasn't able to be digested, which is at this point, namely just any dietary fiber that's left. And we have soluble and insoluble fiber uh, that is going to go in and be digested by a bunch of bacteria. Now, not all of it's going to be digested. Think about, you know, if you ate corn on the cob or, or I just chili and there's a bunch of beans, you know, you can, and you look at your poo the next day, uh, or your next poo, you might see some corn kernels or some bean skins in there. And that's because those are indigestible fibers. Our body and at this point, the bacteria that lives in us doesn't have the capabilities, aka the enzymes, to break those bonds for those specific fibers. What those bacteria can do, though, is they do have some other enzymes that we humans do not, meaning they can break some fibrous bonds. They can break some bonds that we don't have the machinery for, and they actually give us some more nutrients from that. Uh, one of those you can think of as vitamin K. We don't really absorb vitamin K from our diet. We, it's generally locked in fiber and other indigestible places. So the bacteria breaks those things open and liberates the vitamin K. And now only all the way through here, you know, like we're like 28 feet out of the 30 feet left. Uh, can we absor absorb that vitamin K? And after that, after we've gone through that whole process, we're going to enjoy a freaking 10 out of 10 dump and go on our day feeling lighter, happier than we woke up.
Now, that is kind of like the basics of it. So again, real quick, it goes from our mouth. We chew it up. We got a couple enzymes that break down carbs and protein, or carbs and fats in there. Goes to our stomach, which mixes all up with some protein digestion enzymes and some acid. It turns into like a washing machine and like baby food. And then we secrete that into our small intestine where majority of the chemical digestion and the digestion as a whole, because that's where we actually get the nutrients out, takes place. That kind of worms its way through to the large intestine where now our human cells are going to take out all the water and electrolytes that we can and the bacteria are going to break down any of the last nutrients so that we are any last fibers in digestible portions so we can get a couple more nutrients that we need. Now, one quick, uh, I guess, caveat to this is certain nutrients are only able to be absorbed in certain areas of the digestional tract. So if you had to have a colostomy or, uh, you know, a stomach removal or you'd have some other portion of your small intestine or your intestinal tract removed, depending on where it was, you will have difficulty absorbing whatever nutrients are absorbed there. And that usually has to do mostly with vitamins and minerals rather than macronutrients. But now that we got the the general idea done, I want to dive a little bit more into it and give you guys a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty. And again, before we get into this, I want to define a couple terms. So one of those terms is going to be polymer, and that's basically many single units connected together into a big, big unit. So poly equals many. And then we have monomers, which are single units of a macronutrient, and a monomer mono equals one. Di, as you guys will hear me refer to, equals two. Tri equals three, like a tricycle. We also have the word amino acid, which is the single building block of a protein. There's 20 of them total that we use in our body. Nine of them are essential, meaning we must ingest them through our diet. Our body cannot make them. And the other 11 are what are called non-essential, which means we can make them from the essential amino acids. So we do not necessarily need to eat them in our diet. Then we have uh, triglycerides, which is a glycerol backbone and three fatty acids attached to it. If you throw up the number three on your fingers with your pointer, middle, and ring finger, that's kind of what a triglyceride looks like. Uh, then we have a free, free fatty acid, which is a single fatty acid floating around. We have a fatty acid, which is just defined as basically a chain of carbon molecules with hydrogen uh, atoms attached to it. Uh, one end is the methyl end, it is CH3 if you look at it chemically, and that's called the omega end. So if you see omega fatty acids, uh, they're talking about double bonds counting uh, carbons from the omega end. And then we also have the carboxylic acid end. This is a side that attaches to glycerol. And it's also called our alpha end. So these are just different ways to uh, write the nomenclature for fatty acids and different types of fats. Then it, within fatty acids, we have two kinds. We have saturated fatty acids, which where every single carbon in the fatty acid chain is saturated or full of hydrogen atoms, meaning there's no double bonds, only single bonds. And an unsaturated fatty acid is at least <clears throat> one carbon is missing a hydrogen, or there is at least one double bond. So polyunsaturated fatty acids are basically just means that there is 
multiple double bonds within a single fatty acid. And then we have what are called saccharides, which is the sciency name for carbohydrates. Uh, and those we have, you know, mono and disaccharides and then polysaccharides, which would be like starches, carbs, fibers. Uh, we also have some terms called simple carbohydrates, which would be a chain of alpha-glucosidic bonded glucoses. And the alpha-glucosidic bond is just a special type of bond that we can break easily. Uh, so this is what glycogen is made up of. This is what the starch and potatoes are made up of, all that kind of stuff. And then we have complex carbohydrates, which are chains of glucose with beta glucosidic bonds. And so these are a different kind of bond and we do not have the enzymes in order to break this bond. So you can think of this as like fiber or wood or anything like that. So like a, like a stick of celery, you can chew it up and it's just a big fibery piece of mess. Um, and so these, the monomers for carbohydrates, uh, we have three of them. They are glucose, galactose, and fructose. And we have a couple of what are called disaccharides or dimers of carbohydrates. And these would be sucrose, uh, lactose, and maltose. And these are basically just combinations of two, uh, excuse me, saccharides, aka individuals. So sucrose is glucose and fructose combined. Lactose is glucose and galactose, and maltose is two glucoses together. Now, if you ever met somebody who is lactose intolerant, that means they lack the enzyme lactase, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And if they lack the enzyme lactase, they can't break the lactose sugar into the glucose and galactose, meaning they can't digest it, and it's going to cause problems later on, which is why they get bloating, diarrhea, all these sorts of things. Now, since we're talking uh, about these and we just finished with carbohydrates, let's talk about how they specifically are digested. Where does it start? Where does it end? And all the stuff in between. So it starts in the mouth with chewing and salivary amylase being released from our salivary glands, aka where we get saliva from. And so we chew and it mixes it up so the amylase starts to break it up. That's where earlier when I mentioned if you chew a piece of bread or a cracker, you might start to get a sweet taste at the end of it after you chew it for a minute or so. And it goes into our stomach, again gets broke, uh, digested mechanically with that. Again, we're turning it further into baby food. Uh, now we're going to go into the small intestine. And this is where CCK and secretin are going to stimulate the pancreas to secrete pancreatic amylase. Um, and a couple other digestive hormones such as lactase, maltase, and sucrase. So these are all enzymes that are going to break down different saccharides. So whether that be lactose, maltose, and sucrose, or just a slightly more complex carbohydrate. And at the end, they're all going to be digested into their monomers or their monosaccharide form, single carbohydrate form. Uh, as they're broken down, they're then going to kind of eventually bump into the brush border, right? So that's all the finger-like, hairy finger-like projections coming out of the small intestine. And here, they're going to be absorbed into the uh, enterocytes, and then they'll be go absorb into the blood flow. So each villi, right, which is the finger-like projections that are hairy, uh, they have a capillary, a vein, and an artery. And they also have a lymph 
stem that goes in there. And then all of that drains and it goes to the liver. And once it's in the liver, basically our liver is going to kind of like a factory manager. It's going to be like, all right, how much, how many carbs do we have coming in? Okay, cool. We got a hundred units. Um, the liver needs 25 of those units. And then, so we're going to take those 25 units. So now we're at 75 and the muscles need 60 units. And so we're going to send the rest of the other 75 units of carbohydrates out through the blood. The muscles throughout the whole body are going to pick up those 60 units and the rest of them are going to keep floating around the blood. Uh, and if we have too much, eventually they're going to get turned into uh, fat or fatty acids, triglycerides, and so forth, and then get stored in fat cells. Now, our liver, uh, once it absorbs those 25 units of glucose, right, is going to turn them into glycogen via a process of glycogenolysis or the creation of glycogen. And glycogen, you can think of, it looks very similar actually to like the inside of a potato starch. Uh, it's just in our cells and in a much smaller form and a little bit different. So we don't grow potatoes in our cells, unfortunately. And then in our muscles, we're going to have the same thing. We're going to have muscle glycogen be formed with those 60 units. Although there is one main difference between muscle and liver glycogen. And that is muscles are really, really, really stingy. So if your quad has uh, no liver glycogen, but your hamstring does, your hamstring can't go in and be like, hey, quad, here's, you know, 25 units of, of carbs. Go crazy, bro. Uh, muscle glycogen can only be used in that local muscle. So if my bicep has it, only my bicep can use the glucose that's stored in it. It can't borrow it from the tricep, the shoulder, my forearm, my back, anything. Uh, and also it can't give it away, right? So if another muscle nearby is short, it can't say, hey, I got a little extra, you're good, right? So it always stays in the muscle. Now our liver, on the other hand, the our liver glycogen is actually what's used in between meals to regulate our blood sugar. So if it's low, it puts out a little bit more. If it's high, it pulls a little bit in. And so in that way, our liver is what regulates our blood sugar. And all of this coming in, this for glycogenolysis, uh, these carbohydrates being sucked into the cells out of the blood, all of this is stimulated, generally speaking, by insulin. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, though, and we're going to do a deep dive. But that's kind of the gist, because there's also some ways that you can have carbs going to the muscles that don't require insulin. Let's see. So we did that. All right. So that's carbs. Next, we're going to move on to fats. All right. So fats, as we know, are insoluble. Oil and water don't mix. And so we have to take a slightly different process through them. So again, it starts in the mouth with mastication, aka chewing, and the release of salivary lipase. So lipase is the enzyme that breaks down lipids, which are the umbrella term for all fats. So that includes triglycerides, cholesterol, phospholipids, sterols, all these great, all these great things that our body needs are all considered lipids, but for ease of understanding, I'm just going to say fats today. Okay. So we have that little bit of salivary lipase as we're chewing, we go to the stomach, we do that whole deal. And now we're getting secreted into the small intestine. And again, we had CCK and secretin sitting there. And so, <coughs> excuse me, 
CCK and secretin are going to stimulate the liver and the gallbladder, the liver to make bile and the gallbladder to secrete it because the gallbladder's job is to store uh, the, all the bile that the liver makes. And this bile is going to do what's called emulsify the fat. Basically, we're going to take all the fat and we're going to turn it into these trillions and trillions and trillions of tiny little fat droplets that are now water soluble because bile is what's called ambiphobic, which means it likes, or ambiphilic, which means it likes both water and fat. And when it does that, that means one side likes water and one side likes fat. So the fat loving side is going to break these fats into little droplets. And then the water loving side is going to allow those droplets to mix into the rest of the chyme better. Also, again, same as the chewing process, as we mix it up and as we get more and more little droplets, this is going to be uh, good because it's going to increase the surface area of all the fat. So those enzymes can work on a greater area and a greater number of fat molecules than if it was all in one big glob. Being fat likes to kind of congeal together in water since they don't mix real well. Now lipase, after we secrete this, uh, this, these, this bile acid and bile salts from the gallbladder, is going to come from the pancreas. And same as in the mouth, this is going to start breaking up those triglycerides into glycerol backbones, free fatty acids, monoglycerides, and all that stuff. And they're going to form little bundles called micelles. And these basically are just what those tiny little fat droplets are called. Now these micelles are going to go along the brush border as they travel through the small intestine. And they're going to get absorbed into the enterocytes. Now, once they're absorbed, the bile does not get absorbed with it, okay? So, because their cell membrane is made out of fat, the micelles and the fat in the micelles can pass through. And then once they're in the enterocytes, they'll be turned into a structure called a chylomicron, which is basically the same thing as a micelle. Uh, it just has a different component that makes it water-soluble. Now, all that bile is then going to be reabsorbed uh, in the small intestine and recycled back to the liver so that it can continue to secrete bile acids and bile salts. And then from here, uh, all of our fat is now absorbed from the enterocytes into the lymph. Now, your lymph, you might think of edema or lymphozema, uh, you know, lymphoma, all these different things. You can think of lymph as basically like it's a secondary circulation system similar to our blood but it houses our immune system and its real big job is to clear out metabolic waste. All right. So that's what this job is. Uh, and it helps circulate everything. So all this fat is now in the lymph and that lymph is going to take it up to your heart via the superior vena cava. That's your big vein going into your right atrium. And it's going to dump all the lymph back into general circulation. Lymphs also is very similar to plasma your blood plasma. It's very similar concentration. And from there, it's going to be, while it's in the general circulation, all the fats in chylomicrons. Well, you're like, all right, well, I've never heard of a chylomicron when I go to the doctor. That, my friends, would be because all the blood then is going to be eventually directed to the liver where it will deconstruct those chylomicrons and create a new structure called a VLDL which stands for very low density lipoprotein. You might have heard of its cousin, LDL, and its brother-in-law, HDL. 
Uh, LDL stands for low-density lipoprotein and is oftentimes villainized as quote-unquote bad cholesterol, where HDL is, uh, I guess, uh, named heroic as the good cholesterol. Now, neither one is neither good nor bad. We want them to be within range, right? So if we have too much LDL, it's not good. If we have too little HDL, it's also not good. But each one has a very important job. Now, the liver is kind of like the conductor to our body's metabolism. It says, hey, our levels of this nutrient are good, or this one is too much, so we got to take some out. This one is too low, we got to add some more in. And it takes in this level of fat after a meal, and it basically takes it all in, and then it sends out what we need. And that way, our blood lipids stay within range. But it sends it all out in the form of a VLDL. Now, once the VLDL is released from the liver, it's going to go in circulation and it's going to drop off triglycerides mainly and cholesterol, a couple sterols, and a few other things to cells all around the body. And as it does this, it's kind of like a balloon that you slowly let air out of. Except the only cool thing with VLDLs is their outside is coated with proteins. That's how they're able to stay mixed in the blood and not cause issues. So they're considered water f or hydrophilic, excuse me. That means they love water. They mix well with water. And so as it goes, we're going to kind of like dump off that, you know, this cell, this tissue needs some, you know, fat, this tissue needs some more fat, that tissue needs some more fat. And what we're going to start to notice is that the density of this particle is going to rise. Eventually, it's going to become an HDL molecule or a high density lipoprotein. Now, HDL's job is kind of the opposite of LDL's job. LDL is there to drop off fat for energy as source, and HDL's job is kind of like the cleanup crew, right? Because, you know, if somebody drops off, maybe they spill a little bit or they bring up too much. Well, HDL goes around our body and it cleans up all the excess. This is why when you go to your doctor and they say, oh, your LDL, your bad cholesterol is high and your, your good cholesterol uh, isn't high enough. It's actually too low. So if your good cholesterol, your HDL is too low, it means you don't have enough cleaners. And so we're going to have uh, an imbalance of specifically fat in this case. And we're going to have issues with digestion. So that's going to be that. And eventually it's going to keep circulating, keep happening. And the liver is going to continually reabsorb and reassess as to what the balance is, if it needs to make adjustments, so forth and so on. Now, lastly, I want to talk about proteins in digestion. And these ones are a little interesting because they take a similar path in terms of, you know, GI tract to blood to liver to the rest of the body. Uh, but we don't necessarily have a storage site for them like we do carbs and fats. And like uh, I forgot to mention earlier, if we have too much fat in our diet that we can't use, right, it's going to put our LDL cholesterol too high and our VLD is going to be too high then our body says, okay, we don't need this, so we're going to store it for later use as fat. And that is why if we have too many calories, we gain fat because we are like, yep, we got our usage, we'll store it for when there's a shortage. Anyways, back to proteins. So again, uh, protein digestion is going to start in the mouth when we're chewing it. And this is usually good because, you know, meats take a while, you got to break them down, they're very fibrous -y sometimes, some of them are pretty tough and whatnot. Uh, maybe it's a, a you know, a plant-based protein, so you gotta break down the fiber to get at it. 
But we're going to start with chewing. And then we're going to go into the stomach. And there's going to be a whole bunch of gastric juices. And there's going to be two important things in there that are going to allow the breakdown of protein. And that is the first one is called pepsinogen and HCL or hydrochloric acid. Now hydrochloric acid is going to react with pepsinogen in the sense that it's basically going to turn it on. So pepsinogen is inactive. It's called it's what's called a zymogen or an inactive enzyme. And pepsin is the activated form of pepsinogen. So HCL binds with pepsinogen, cleaves off a little part, and it turns into pepsin, pepsin. And now it's ready to go and it starts digesting proteins. A lot of uh, protein digestion does occur in the stomach, although once it finishes its digestion in the stomach, it's going to go into the small intestine where even more protease enzymes are going to be secreted by the pancreas. And there's even going to be some that are just posted up on the cell wall at the brush border. And so these are going to take the oligo, the tri, and the dipeptides, aka the short chains, the three chains, and the double sections of amino acids, and we're going to cleave all of them off into single amino acids. Now, we had 20 of them, so we'll have a different ratio of different proteins or different amino acids based on what we ate. And then from there, uh, they're going to be absorbed across the brush border, same as carbs were. And they're going to go into the blood, which are then going to go into the muscles. Now, like I said earlier, proteins, we don't have a storage site for them, right? Like we can't just build up and store excess amino acids. That's just not how it works because their storage is to be in the form of a protein. So what we do is we have this kind of whole body collection called the amino acid pool, right? Because we don't, uh, if we need proteins, our body really doesn't want to go through and break down important proteins that we're using. So we want to have kind of like this constant influx and balance of free floating amino acids. And this can be in the cells, in the interstitial fluid, in the lymph, in the blood, wherever. And we call it the amino acid pool. And this pool is constantly uh, having things added to it, taken away from it, and but it's always remaining in balance. Now, how it remains in balance, and this is how you can tell if you're, like we said last week, trying to grow muscle, is that you're building more proteins than what you're breaking down. That would, that would mean you're in a positive nitrogen balance. Now, if you're losing weights and you're losing muscle, you would be that would mean you're breaking down protein faster than you're replacing them. So you would be in what's called a negative nitrogen balance. And that's kind of why like protein, they say, is the big one with muscle because since we don't have a store, muscle tends to be that quote-unquote store. But if we're using our muscle, our body doesn't really want to break down what we're using. So we just keep this ever-changing and ever-balancing pool of amino acids now need specific needs for proteins are going to vary by person and your lifestyle so if you're sedentary you're not going to need as much as somebody who's extremely active or working in harsh environments so that is the kind of overview and the deeper dive of digestion and absorption of the macronutrients we didn't go crazy in depth but we definitely uh, dove but a couple feet below the surface and now, though, I do want to talk about a couple bigger picture things, and namely, how do we help our body run this process better? And there's a whole lot of things we get to get into. We talked a fair amount about them, 
uh, last week and in previous episodes, you know, about, you know, getting enough sleep, having enough rest, not being too stressed, eating enough and often enough, you know, eating consistently. But really, I think there's three, three big things that we can do to help our body digest our food better, which means we're going to get more out of our food, which is good because that means if we're trying to lose weight, we're going to uh, be able to get by with eating less calories, which means it'll be easier to stick to our caloric deficits. Uh, if we're trying to build muscle and gain weight, it means we're going to actually be able to use all of the food we got and work and grow muscle at a more efficient rate. So what are those three things? And I really think we can boil almost all of these little tips and tricks down into three points in order to help our body run more consist, uh, run more smoothly. And that would be consistency, uh, high nutrient density, and proper hydration. So then we're going to go into each one of these a little bit further. So we'll start with consistency. And I'd actually have done a whole episode on this uh, called homeostasis, balancing the extremes way back at the beginning. And this, this concept plays into almost every part of our body. So... We, our body loves consistency, right? It loves routine. It loves predictability. It means it can not waste as much energy. It can be more efficient, get more out of what it's trying to do, whether it be digestion, whether it be exercise, whatever. And we have a couple things that actually can help and tune our body to our internal clock. Uh, and one, really they are four things, I should say. It's sunlight, it's sleep, wake, and bedtimes. It is exercise, and it is the or physical activity, I should say, including exercise, and it is the times at which we eat. Okay, all of four of these things really help and train our body into a more consistent rhythm. A really easy example of this is: Have you ever been at work and you're doing your job, and all of a sudden you start having all these intrusive thoughts about, "Oh man, I'm hungry. Oh, what's for lunch? I wonder if there's anything in the break room." You know, I had I had uh, chicken tacos last night. You know, today I'm kind of kind of feeling Jersey Mike's as a sandwich, or you know, I actually want to have that fish and that salad, or the chicken and the salad, or a pizza, or a burger, or whatever. And you went from not feeling hungry, not thinking about food, laser focus into all of a sudden your body and your brain can't stop thinking about food. And then next thing you know, you look up and you're like, oh. Well, that makes sense. Uh, I'm about to go on lunch. My lunch break is in about five minutes. So that, guys, is an example of you might not have even been in a caloric deficit or even had a you know, physiological need for more calories. But because you typically eat at the same time every day, your body begins to get accustomed to that routine and it begins expecting it. So when it comes time... Our body's going to be like, yo, is the food coming? I'm ready, bro. I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on. Bring it on. And so you're going to start to get hungry. Uh, the other thing that we can do, right, is just, honestly, I guess, not the other thing, but really just being consistent with our routine. That doesn't mean living a boring, monotonous life, but that means, you know, getting up and going to bed around the same time, getting sunlight every day if we can, uh, and being active roughly around the same time as we can in eating around the same times. And our body actually ad adapt our energy levels to different times throughout the day. So if we normally, you know, work out, you know, mid-afternoon, mid-morning, say 10 o'clock, you might get a little spike in energy about 9, 9.30, 9.45. Your body's prepping you for your workout or your run or whatever you're going to do. 
So just being more consistent with it is going to be better. All right. And this also is going to help us secrete things. So you're going to get more out of our food because uh, our body is able to prepare better. The next thing would be nutrient, a nutrient dense diet. And this one is really important because it's, it's less about the uh, calories that we're getting. And it's more about supplying the raw ingredients that all those enzymes we talked about earlier need in order to function. Now, I want you guys to picture enzymes uh, kind of like an engine. And just like if you're turning your car on, you need a key in order to turn it on. Well, each enzyme actually needs a vitamin or a mineral to kind of turn on that enzyme. Otherwise, if you were trying to, let's say you're in a caloric deficit and you just ate, well, you don't want to continually be breaking down food and fat, right? We actually want to take that in, and especially the protein, and assimilate it into our muscle tissue, causing repair, you know, so that we don't just continually break down our food. Because if we didn't, if those breakdown enzymes were always on, eventually we would just eat ourselves, right? So we have to have the ability to turn them on and off. And we do that by these little keys. And those keys are micronutrients, aka vitamins and minerals. And when we have enough of these, right, we can adequately turn on all the little keys that are enzymes that we need. And then we're going to have better digestion and so forth. And this really is, has to go with the fact that digestion is a very, very energy intensive and resource intensive process. It can take a lot to digest energy or digest your food. Um, an example of this is like alligators will just sit and snakes will sit and sleep and chill for, you know, hours and even days after they have a big meal because they're spending so much energy breaking it down. It's the same thing with us that we may not sit for hours and days, but it does take us a lot of energy to digest our food. And the last one is going to be hydration. And this guy's just like needing adequate micro micronutrients. Uh, and all the reasons we've always talked about why hydration is so important. Digestion is also a very water intensive process. And oftentimes what you guys learn if you ever do any physiology or biochemistry is that in order to break a bond, especially an organic bond, you need to add in a water molecule and you break that water molecule in order to break the bond so that now from the one to the now two molecules can be stable. Because if we don't have that, then they're not going to be stable and they're just going to rebind back to each other. So we add in this water molecule, we can adequately break it and those two end products stay end products. Now what that means is if we're dehydrated, our body's going to have a tougher time getting enough of those water molecules in to break all these bonds that we have, right? Because they we can't even see them really without... Uh, a super special microscope called an electron microscope, which you don't even look through. It actually just shoots electrical uh, x-rays or other some sort of ray, and it reads all the different electrons in there. So we can't even see these things with our naked eye. Now imagine how many of these, you know, a single amino acids are in uh, a chicken breast or a steak or a hamburger or a piece of fish or even tofu. Right, that's a lot of bonds, which means that is a lot of water that we need to break into in order to break all those bonds. And I think really the best thing for this would be to have a minimum, and I really do mean a minimum of half your body weight and pounds 
being consumed in ounces. And if you're being active, it's probably better to do 75% of your body weight in pounds in ounces a day. Uh, and that's really just going to help you stay hydrated. And same as we talked about last week in the bulking program, that's just going to be the lube for everything. Another easy way to help get in your water throughout the day and to make sure your body is prepared for the next time you eat is between meals. And you could also do before or after your first and your last meal. Have a glass or two of water. What this is going to do is it's basically is going to give your body time to assimilate that water and put it in the correct places so that it can be used when it's needed. And this is just going to help you stay hydrated. It's going to help um, your body digest better, which means you're going to get more nutrients and more energy out of the food you eat. Uh, and honestly, guys, also being hydrated can reduce the feelings of bloating and even some GI discomfort. So if you eat and you feel bloated or you kind of get stomach aches, one of the culprits might be, and it might not cure you, but it could reduce your symptoms, is that you're just not adequately hydrated. Uh, or if you're getting fatigue at work in the middle of the day, it could be that you just don't have enough water in your system. So guys, that is pretty much the content for this week. We did a lot. We went a lot. Uh, we did a deep dive. We went over digestion and the GI tract about three times today. Uh, just kind of adding layers to it, going a layer deeper, going a layer deeper. And we really just talked about the breakdown and the storage of all the macronutrients, so protein, carbs, and fat. Uh, next week, though, what we're going to be doing is we're going to kind of do the flip side of this process. So now we just talked about the digestion, assimilation of all this energy into the body. But now once it's in the body, right, how do we actually use it for energy? How do we use it to think, to move, to do exercise, to sleep, to use it to digest our next meal, right? How do we use it? And so we're going to do a deep dive into energy production and the role of micronutrients in energy production, because this is really where we're going to start to get into the weeds. And I want to give you guys the reasons why I say, even if you don't like fruits and vegetables, they play a functional role. You guys are going to learn the functional role about it next week. So guys, that's that's the episode for today. Uh, I want to quick get into the recipe and then we'll wrap it up. So this week is a dessert protein bomb. Uh, I still want to keep on the theme of bulking. And protein is one of those things that we need a lot of. And it can be hard to get just through dietary means. So having uh, larger bolses of protein can sometimes be easier for people versus eating a whole bunch of meals throughout the day. Now what this is, like I said, it's a dessert protein bomb. So what we're gonna need is one cup of Greek yogurt, one scoop of chocolate protein, and then one cup of either bananas, berries, or uh, any kind of like fruit that you want. And pretty much we're just gonna mix it all up. I would definitely suggest mixing the protein powder into the yogurt before you add the fruit in. Uh, but Guys, you just mix it up and enjoy a dessert that is tasty and chock full of about 40 to 45 grams of protein. Uh, it's tasty and it's really easy to get a big chunk of your protein down. So guys, that is the episode. Again, I want to say thank you for sticking with me this whole time and for 94 weeks in a row now. It means a lot to me and I hope you guys are getting a lot out of it. If you guys found today's episode useful, thought-provoking, funny, just gave you a different per perspective, or it was valuable to you in one way, shape, or form. I ask that you either start using this information as soon as you finish listening to me in about 30 seconds, 
or you go ahead and you share this with somebody that you think would be benefit it would be beneficial for and you help us accomplish our mission guys also i just want to let you know if you are looking to improve your fitness your health your wellness your nutrition intake hell even your mindset and your mental capacity shoot me a tag or shoot me an email at psychedupfitness at gmail.com or you can shoot me a dm at kanadi underscore fit uh guys i would love to work with you we're coming up on the heart of bulking season and we got a bunch of holidays which can be stressful for people and people can feel like they kind of have to throw their fitness plans under the bus because oh we got halloween oh we got thanksgiving oh we got christmas oh we got new years and they're all so close and guys i'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that stressful and you you do not have to throw away your fitness goals in fact i can teach you how to use these holidays to actually catapult you forward into better results. So if you guys are looking to improve any of those areas, again, your fitness, your nutrition, your mindset, your health, your wellness, shoot me an email or a DM, and I would love to work with you guys. We are going to be announcing a special promo starting New Year, probably by the end of the month. So keep an eye out for that. I'm really excited for it. There's going to be prize money in it for winners uh, if you guys complete the challenge, but I can't tell you guys too much yet because it's still in the works. So guys, with that, that is the podcast for today. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope you guys are kicking ass, taking aims, and most importantly, earning your good day. Peace!